Hi, I'm Connie Loises. And this is Alex Gove. And this is Strictly VC Download. Hello from Lisbon. I am wrapping up a whirlwind and, God, very costly trip here <laughs> owing to some poor planning and one lost computer. <clears throat> I'm still really glad I came. I've been to this particular event, Web Summit, before, but this year was on a scale I haven't seen previously. The Speakers Forum alone, which is this cavernous room where speakers can visit with one another and reporters could have easily housed a giant conference on its own. And it was packed from nine to five, I guess. I was never there at nine o'clock, but it was really busy. There were something like 71,000 people from 160 countries here. They said 2,000 startups, I think, and about a thousand different reporters, which is really incredible to me. Newsletter readers already know that one of my planned stage interviews fell apart. I was about to get mic'd for our onstage interview on Wednesday, and my featured guest cited food poisoning, which, if you're going to produce a last-minute excuse, is hard to beat. I did really enjoy sitting down separately with Jeff Ralston, a longtime partner at Y Combinator who was named president of the Popular Accelerator Program in 2019, and who revealed in late August that he's stepping down at the end of this year. I had wanted to talk with Ralston about a wide range of things, and I think we managed to cover a lot of ground, even while I was so tired that for a split second, I honestly could not think of the question I'd wanted to ask moments earlier. In fact, after heading to a party tonight, hosted by a Web3 gaming community startup uh, that said the crowd was about six times bigger last year. The host blamed the not-so-go-go crypto economy. I am about to fall asleep. So I'm passing you along to Alex, and then we are featuring my interview with Ralston from earlier today because I think you'll enjoy hearing from him as much as I did, and there might be something useful for you in what he had to say. Hope you enjoy it. But first, the news. <laughs> This Tuesday, Airbnb reported that it had its most profitable quarter ever. Nevertheless, a concerned group of superhosts is wondering whether the Airbnb bust is upon us. According to rental analytics firm AirDNA, this past September, the number of available short-term rental listings in the U.S. hit 1.38 million, a 23.2% increase over last year. AirDNA also reports that from July through September, occupancy rates fell in 31 of the top 50 largest U.S. short-term rental markets. The problem seems to be too many rich people buying too many second homes. During the pandemic, when interest rates hit rock bottom, staying in hotels seemed like suicide, and people could work anywhere, wealthy folks bought up second properties that they could either use themselves or rent on Airbnb. Landlords and institutional investors also contributed to the glut of short-term places to stay. Now the chickens are apparently coming home to roost. Airbnb superhost Jim Ewing told Time that his property in Desert Hot Springs, California, dropped from 80% occupancy to 0% this past spring, and he hasn't had a single booking since June. Paradoxically, prices for Airbnbs are still holding strong. AirDNA states that Airbnb's average daily rates recorded their largest year-over-year -year growth rate since April. However, Neil Carpenter, the owner of short-term rental consulting service The Air Butler, 
told Time that he is seeing signs of a softening in the market. He warns hosts in particular to steer clear of onerous cleaning fees. As for Ewing, he wants out. He is currently looking to ditch Airbnb for a long-term tenant. It seems like a lot of people are kind of fed up with Airbnb, and they're angry about how some hosts treat them now, he told Time. I'm curious to see if my timing for leaving the short-term market is the right move, and if in six months or 12 months, Airbnb becomes a bad investment for people. Up next, Connie's interview with Jeff Ralston of Y Combinator. But first, a word from our sponsor. Voban from Carta. Set up your next SPV in five minutes. Voban, the leading VC platform in Europe, was acquired by Carta to introduce super-fast, low-cost SPVs in the U.S., plus bring international funds and SPVs to the Carta platform. Voban from Carta is the all-in-one VC super app to launch your first 100K angel syndicate or manage your next $1 billion VC fund. Set up your fund, raise capital from your LPs, issue capital calls, and more, all in a few clicks. Together, they've structured 1,000-plus SPVs and raised over $2.5 billion through their platform. If you'd like to learn more, please reach out to www.voban.io slash strictlyvc. That's www.voban.io slash strictlyvc. So over the past 17 years, Y Combinator has become a global powerhouse synonymous with the entrepreneurial spirit of tech. But with a new chapter approaching, the company is making a series of changes and bets for the years ahead. As Jeff Ralston's tenure as YC president nears its end, let's join this session to learn about what's coming next. So please welcome the president of Y Combinator, Jeff Ralston, in conversation with TechCrunch's Connie Loizos. Nice to see you. Nice to see you, Connie. Such a treat. Um, all right. Well, let's start with the news. You are leaving Y Combinator. I am. You were there for three years. It was a little bit of a surprise. Why now? Uh, I actually count the my tenure at YC from just after 2006 when I left Yahoo. I started hanging out with Paul and company. So really almost 16 years, and I've been an employee at YC since 2011. Yeah. So it's been over a decade, and, you know, I felt inside me an urgency that it was time for a change. And I think you have to do that justice when you feel that. Even though I love YC, I love what I do, uh, I think it's important work. I think it matters. We're very mission-driven. We think entrepreneurship is important and makes a real positive difference in the world. And I love working with founders. I, uh, it's weird. I love it, but it was just time to do something different. Sure, so sure. I'm moving on. 
Good. Well, good to listen to yourself. I mean, so Y Combinator, I've been covering Silicon Valley for so long. It's incredible to me to think about the evolution. I uh, remember showing up at Crystal Towers, this apartment building where they used to house all the entrepreneurs, and seeing Justin Kahn, who I thought was really strange with his headset on, filming himself all day long. Of course, he went on to found Twitch. That um, was Justin TV, remember, Justin right? TV, yeah. exactly. I was like, who is this kid? Um, but, of course, it's changed so much. So it was a class then of maybe 12 or 18. Then we got to these progressively bigger classes. This past winter, you had 400 uh, uh, founders in your um, 400 companies. 400, right, so maybe 800 founders. Um, and you downsized a little bit. So tell me a little bit about this whole idea that, you know, the, starting a startup is, you know, infinitely scalable. Well... I think I've made some pretty, maybe some people consider outlandish claims for how many companies we could possibly fund. It's never been infinite. I do think it scales a, a lot. Uh, you know, there, there is extraordinary opportunity for entrepreneurship and for founders to find success across the United States, across the world, in every demographic. And, you know, in the beginning, we were just scratching the surface. One of the things that I think YC did that was really special was to sort of democratize the idea of entrepreneurship, to open it up to different folks. Originally, the idea was to open it up to technologists, to hackers. The first era of YC was really, let's center entrepreneurship the value creation of the next generation around the people who know how to build that technology. And that was really an opening of entrepreneurship to folks who really didn't quite have the access. And we've continued that to this day. And it's for that reason that our batches have to continue to grow. It's, it's, you know, supply and demand. There's a demand for entrepreneurship. There's a demand for the um, opening up of that career path to folks everywhere around the world. It's an interesting. I remember Sam Altman, your predecessor, predecessor, saying there was like five innovations uh, on the part of YC a few as of a few years ago, and he said that one of them was just letting anybody in the world apply to the program. Whereas you know, with VCs, you had to get a warm introduction. Yeah, totally. You know, and and to be fair, PG Paul Graham, the founder of YC, started opening up the ideas behind entrepreneurship with his essays, which, you know, I'm sure a number of people in the audience have read. They were really a, a, a turning point, I think, in how people thought about entrepreneurship and thought about, more importantly, the possibility that you, anyone, anyone here can be an entrepreneur. Right. You know, can I ask you quickly, I honestly don't know at this point how YC is really structured. Hmm. I mean, obviously you have these cohorts every year, you have the continuity fund, which maybe we can talk about too. That was a little bit controversial at the time. It seems like it's going well, but where is the money coming from? Is this a holding company and investors have stakes in a holding company or does it raise funds very, very quietly? Well, we raise funds and we do it rather quietly. It's sort of our internal sausage making and it's not so relevant to talk about. Uh, orig you know, we, we've evolved over time. Originally, YC was funded exclusively by Paul and company. Right. Um, and later on, we, we took on, from a funding perspective, uh, the nature of most VCs where we have limited partners mm -hmm from whom we raise money on a relatively regular basis. Okay. And we have a number of, of funds to, in which those LPs place their, um, 
place their money. Okay, and then so I'm we a- look we look like a, a standard VC from that perspective. So, like VC or is it Evergreen? It's not ever. It's not evergreen. Okay, okay. And, and I'm guessing that a lot of alums are also welcome to invest in OIC. Indeed. Yeah, virtuous cycle and all. Yeah. Um, well, you know, uh, I would like to point out that one of the innovations that Sam probably talked about when you talked about those five innovations was that we sort of think of the folks who go through Y Combinator as our alumni. Mm-hmm. And we've created this community of founders. And so it's really great if that tight community can actually reinvest the success they found back into YC. Yeah. It ties us all more tightly together. Absolutely. Okay. On that front, I... I I've always been interested in this. I think the value of the network is so interesting, but I always wonder if there is a breaking point because I know sometimes a founder will roll out a product and a lot of YC alums are, you know, will happily sort of test it out or buy it. Um, but I hopefully just wonder, buy it. That hopefully would be buy good. it, right. Yeah. But I just wonder at some point when you're dealing with thousands of teams, if it becomes overwhelming or how you keep it be from becoming overwhelming. You know, your alums. I think the best answer to that is we have really good software. Okay. We actually consider ourselves more than anything else a software platform. You know, we've all been software engineers. Paul is a PhD in computer science. Sam was a software engineer. I'm a software engineer. My successor, Gary Tan, he's a software engineer. And so we take a software aspect, software attitude towards scaling and towards um, creating tools that bring our companies and our founders together. In fact, Gary Tan built the community software originally that we use still at YC. Was that like rooted in Posturus at all or just completely separate? It's completely separate. Okay. Well, I love Gary. I'm glad that he's... Posturus uh, was the blogging platform that... Uh, Gary was also a YC founder right, and right, the right. company he started was, a, was one of the early blogging platforms and, and a great one at that. Actually. Right. I used it. <laughs> um, so you had this sort of sizable class this winter. I think, was that the biggest class you've ever had? 400? Yeah. Teams, so you've you've pared back a little bit. Which it's a, was it's a it's a new world, right? Like yeah, I was the, say. the world the world is okay. changing pretty radically, and it and and it, it really behooved us to react to that. Also, the world changed in two fundamental ways, which caused us to retrench a little bit on our batch size. Mm-hmm. One is the pandemic, sort of, kind of is coming to an end, and we're much more in person, and it's harder to scale in person than purely virtual, which we were from March 2020 until the winter of 22. Um, And the second thing is, you know, you and some others might have noticed the economy is doing somewhat different things than it did in 2021. And so it's really important for us as we fund companies to fund those that have a really best chance of survival and raising funds in the future and, um, and thriving in a more difficult economic situation. Which, you know, is probably pretty reasonable to predict. Sure, absolutely. Will the terms be changing? I mean, uh, terms are changing across the board here. I don't know if it... Uh, not in the though. short term. Okay. Not in the short term. I, I mean, over over the years, we've changed the the, the deal that we... Um, that we give to YC companies. And you probably know that recently we changed the amount of money we give each company from $125,000 to $500,000. Right. That'll stick for a while. Fact, we're actually sort of super pleased that just as we're coming into an economic, uh, it's a, a diff, so actually stormy economic weather, right. every YC company gets to start off with a minimum of $500,000 and has a great chance, therefore, no matter what, of making it through to the other side. Right. And there will be another side. There's always another side. Sure. Actually, I read a piece this morning with some VCs predicting that maybe it's next year. Let's hope. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I've seen, there's, 
um, I think someone in the previous panel just said nobody really knows, and it's true right. nobody really knows. But there's there's reason to believe that we might have a relatively soft landing, that maybe we'll have a recession, but it probably won't last for that long. Uh, you know, there's there's contradictory metrics in the market. You know, there's a pretty good employment statistics, pretty bad inflation, and we'll see how those balance out. Right. You know, Jeff, another thing I wanted to ask, uh, I sort of um, let our coverage of YC's winter batch, so this is sort of top of mind, but I think the title of the story was, is YC becoming a kind of fight club? Because you had so many different companies that were very much alike. You had very similar stage companies in the same regions seemingly tackling the same problems. And I thought at that scale, it's probably inevitable. And do you just have to sort of make as many bets on as many promising entrepreneurs as you can and see who kind of, you know, succeeds and thrives? Yeah. I don't know. Fight club implies, (laughs) you know, pugilism between the the companies, and that seldom happens within our community. Even when companies end up being in the same space, we still all feel like we're fighting the same fight. And um, that that look, we've funded over four thousand companies now, so it is inevitable sure. that people will be in similar or the same space. It just it's okay. It happens. Um, you know, I also wanted to ask about. Uh, what you are funding right now. It, it seems like there was a lot of fintech, especially in the last couple of classes. I haven't seen as much consumer. I wonder if you're also interested in your, if you're following the creator trend, if that's something that you're uh, dipping your toe in. Um, you know, uh, we're driven by the founders who apply. And so we seldom say, oh, we're going to take, you know, 20 consumer businesses, 100 B2B SaaS. Like, you know, B2B SaaS tends to be the biggest component of batches has for a while. I like to say it's for the same reason that Willie Horton used to rob banks because they have that's the money. Where the money is. Yeah, that's where <laughs> right. the money is. And you know, when you want to, um, if if you want to persuade consumers to spend money, it's just a little bit harder than companies who actually, when you provide a product they want, really want to spend money because, right. well, you know, then they have a guaranteed business relationship with you. Right. Um, I also just wanted to ask. If the um, application process has changed, if you don't mind us bouncing around a little bit. So, uh, you know, I remember Sam saying it was 45 minutes when he was an entrepreneur going through the process. Then it came, went down to 10 minutes. He sort of suggested he thought it could get to five minutes, which, you know, he thought would also... I think he was talking about rude. the demo day pitch, no? No, no, no. The application process. How long it took? Well, he, he essentially said that... there's not that much data involved, that it really is sort of understanding who can tell a story, who can sort of react quickly when they're pushed in a certain direction. And he said it was pretty clear pretty quickly. So the way our application process works, excuse me, hasn't changed much over time at all. There's an online application. It's free. So anyone who wants to apply to YC, you should. And it's actually, there's, there's, there's a self-serving part of that, obviously, but also I actually think it's very helpful for startups to go through the set of questions that we ask and fill it out. And it takes a few hours. There's a video, it's a short video, a minute video, just introducing the founders. After the applications come in, we review all the applications, everyone, and we tend to get on the order of 20,000 applications per batch. And then we select a limited number for interviews 
and we do a 10-minute interview with every company okay. that we select. And based on that interview, we select them for the batch. That hasn't changed very much over time. And I don't believe the amount of time it takes to fill out an application has varied that much over time. Okay. That's great to know. Um, I also just wondered, okay, it's a little bit unfair to, to make you the Silicon Valley representative, but you are in California, as am I. What do you think is happening there? Do you feel like, uh, I don't know if this audience cares as much as some of the people that might be watching The people that are moving to Miami? Or, yeah. <laughs> right, right. But, um, you know, you mentioned that people are coming back to work. It did seem like a fairly large percentage of your summer class is in San Francisco, something like 25%, 30%. Uh, what do you think? Higher, of the, than that. higher than that. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, for us, it's a, a twofold question is how, how we come out of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Businesses everywhere around the world are struggling with this question. As a company, we became a hundred percent virtual in March of 2020, like almost everyone else and yeah. stayed that way for two years. And we're just, figuring out what does YC as a company look like in 2022 and 2023 and, and um, beyond. The good news for me is mostly it's Gary's problem. <laughs> but I will say this. We, we did open a, another office in San Francisco recently. I did a straw poll of YC employees for how often they were going to come into the office per how many days per week. And yeah. the average was something like 1.5 days. Yeah. So it's a bit of an experiment to see. But also the other thing that happened was 25% of our staff was either hired or just decamped, left the Bay Area to live elsewhere. Yeah. So we're almost fundamentally a remote virtual organization henceforth. The other question is, what do our batches look like? Right. <clears throat> I mentioned that in the summer of 2022, we brought back in person. It's one of the reasons the batches the, the batch entire batch? It wasn't a hybrid batch? No, we bought back components of in-person. Okay. We had a retreat at the beginning of the batch. We had weekly meetups during the batch, and we had an alumni event at the end of the batch. And we'll continue to incrementally work with how much in-person we'll bring back and how much virtual. There's, we learned so much during the pandemic as to what works. In fact, we were able to spend more time with founders because turns out office hours over video over Zoom are really effective and really efficient. So we did more of them and we connected with our founders over over tools like you know Slack and WhatsApp and and, and digital tools like that. They in, in some ways, even though we weren't in person, brought us closer. So we're trying to find the happy medium, the best of both worlds where we can spend that sort of quality time helping founders and also kind of the very human aspect of you know, meeting them in person, hugging them when they need a hug. Sure. Those things actually are super important, especially, you know, uh, uh, we talked about in the beginning how we are a community. We're, we're you know, uh, a set of people who are, who are, who all believe in paying it forward and, and helping the entire community be successful. And meeting in person matters for those communities. Absolutely. I think that's wonderful. For what it's worth, I just saw some of my colleagues for the first time at TechCrunch at a recent event, and it was such a reinvigorating experience. It's so great when you get back together in person. And, and even though our office is, you know, there tends to be 
10 or 15 people there at a time. It's still so great to go back in and just to see people. But it's weird, you know, when, when we used to go into the office, it's because that's where our work was. That's where we did it. And now it seems like we go into the office, I don't know, to see people. It's a <laughs> right. little strange. I right. Think. I think you're right. I think we just go to socialize mostly. So we're almost out of time. I did want to ask, yeah. uh, you know, selfishly, I hope you stick around, but what is your plan? I mean, are you going to do, you, you've been in the industry for so long. You founded a number of companies before uh, joining Paul at YC. Are you going to like go off and be a cattle rancher or cattle something, rancher, nothing uh, no, related to tech? Um, you know, uh, I've been really fortunate in my career to always leave under my own terms, and I never have a plan until I'm there. And I don't know precisely what I'm going to do. I have some really significant projects. There's some some writing I want to do, some software I want to build, and some other projects that I have, uh, you know, sort of been in the hopper for a long time. But that's not my main thing, and I'll figure it out. I'll take my time. I think there's a lot of real significant problems in the world that maybe I'll try my hand at. Um, I started an educational technology accelerator that was sort of a sister accelerator to YC because I believe that was an important way to make a difference in people's lives that is durable and sustainable and um, fundamental. And um, perhaps I'll, I'll delve back into that space, but I just don't know. And that's, that's I love that you don't know. I love that you don't know. It'd be nice if more people sort of approach their careers that way. It's a little scary, but yeah, but, well, I think it's wonderful. It's so nice to sit down with you. Nice to see you, Connie. Get to do this again when you're <laughs> doing your next thing. Whatever that is. Yeah. So thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, everyone. That's it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and special thanks to Vauban from Carta for sponsoring this episode. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you back here next week.